you're listening to the Halftone Hero Podcast. And now, here's your hosts. Hello everyone and thank you for tuning into episode 4 of the Halftone Hero Podcast. I'm your host Derek, better known throughout the internet as Scrap Gear, and joining me as always is my wife and the indie queen of our household, Indie Jen. How's it going, hon? Hi! <laughs> Alright, so... It's been a week since our, we posted our last recording, but it's been almost two weeks for comics, uh, and that was because we wanted to try and get things more on schedule, so we skipped recording last week just because we did so many other recordings that week, so we're like, okay, let's just, we'll take a breather, we'll get things going, and then we'll pick it up again, so... We're finding our rhythm. We are finding our rhythm, but we have rhythm our rhythm of have a... <laughs> we have something of a rhythm going so hopefully you get to listen to this before the new comics come out but i can't promise that because i don't know when you listen to podcasts our listeners but hey you're awesome anyways All yes right. you are uh so we're gonna get right into this and we're gonna try and keep <laughs> some of our discussion stuff short so we're gonna go we're gonna talk about our pull list uh conversations for the uh for the past couple of weeks we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll hop right into our reviews and then followed from the reviews we'll do jen needs a hero uh so i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna start off the pull list talk first one up is injustice 2 number five just when i think i'm like i don't know i'll give it one more issue and then i'll probably drop it from there then Uh, they pull a rabbit out of the hat they pull a rabbit out of the hat and the original Blue Beetle, as well as a number of high CEO business leaders throughout the world, get kidnapped and then effectively put to death by Raza Ghoul. And it's just there's this really touching moment between um, between Teddy, who's the original Blue Beetle, and then his buddy Booster. Um, near the end, like, it was, <sighs> man, like, like I said, I was just like, I'm going to give it one more issue and then I'm probably just going to drop it and then wait and see when the trades come out. I still might do that, but yeah, this one was, uh, much better than I thought it was going to be, uh, given where the last one was. Uh, next thing that I read was Batman number 26. This is part two of the war of jokes and riddles. <laughs> And this one, it's just, it's, you know, it's building up more. The Riddler's trying to build up his force, and he recruits his first ally. And then the Joker also recruits his as well. Don't give me too many spoilers. Oh, you I still haven't... haven't seen it? You haven't read it yet? No. Okay, fine. Well, that's where that one ends then. Can't talk about too much more. Jen, what have you been up to this week? for re- Or the past couple of weeks for reading? I enjoy binge reading like I enjoy binge watching. So I've caught up on Guardians of the Galaxy. So I've read issues 3, 4, and 5. That's all new Guardians of the Galaxy. Sorry, yes, all new. Because apparently there's a difference. Yes, there is. It's the title. It says all new Guardians of the Galaxy. I I know it's the title. I just thought it was the same people. (laughs) Which apparently I would be mistaken. I mean... Remember, the original Guardians of the Galaxy, Yondu was one of the original Guardians. These are technically the new Guardians, and then this is the all-new Guardians of the Galaxy book, because Marvel, yay! (laughs) 
but I was catching up. Issue three was done very well. Mm -hmm. The art did a whole lot of weight pulling in the storytelling, which is unusual. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a lot. There were a lot of very large panels in that particular issue. Yes, but the way they broke it down, it, it carried more of the story than it normally does yes. in an, any comic book. But that one focused on Gamora and her inner turmoils that we still don't know a whole lot about. Something mm-hmm. about a soul stone. Yes. I I didn't read the original Infinity Gauntlet series, so that apparently has something to do with it. Again, because I didn't read it, I don't know. But apparently, when we get to issue four, Drax knows a whole lot more about what's going on in our head than he lets on. And the little army of Groot people is mean. Yeah, that's the very end of it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they're all trying... There's some big score. Gamora's looking for something. We don't really know exactly what it is. We can assume it has something to do with the Soul Stone. Yes. So she tries to strike a deal with the Collector, thinking that it might be in his uh, collection. It's not, so they're trying to work on something. And then the story goes on from there. And then number five, this is something that I'm noticing with uh, with this particular series so far. And it might it might change once they've gotten all caught up. But so far, after the first issue, all of the odd-numbered issues are background stories leading up you know it's what you know each of the guardians were doing prior to you know getting together and going in big score yeah and then going to uh oh what what did they do in the first issue it was um they got into a giant galactus robot and robbed a robbed a planet bank which worked out really well for them for the most part but yeah so and then number five Focus is on Peter Quill, yep. aka Star Lord, and his love of music, which I think it's really cool. What how he gets his music? Yeah, that was interesting because it's like the radio waves are time traveling. So mm-hmm. if you find the right wavelength for the 1980s, he can then re re record a new cassette tape. Yeah, and like you you see him going through and picking his. Uh, you know, he's writing out his star chart, trying to figure out, like, okay, well, where stuff? Okay, this area is a restricted space. And then, like, he's tuning in, and he starts hearing uh, President Reagan's inaugura- inauguration speech. Yep. So he writes down on his star chart, like, okay, this area is Reagan's speech, so he's got to keep going. And, yeah. It's, it's a really interesting book. It definitely gives you some insight, or a little bit of background into, like, how Peter Quill is and his personality. His and love of analog. His love of analog, yes. Uh, it was just it was just a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed this issue, which I'm assuming you did as well? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so next up, I have, uh, going off of what I read, I have Venom number 152, which I love that they're picking back up where the Venom series left off. Um, I think it was with... It was two issues ago. Um, it was Venom's uh, 150th issue, but that includes like all of the previous Venom stuff, all of the Venom while it was Agent Thompson, uh, and then uh, when he was Venom Space Knight, and then coming back uh, to Eddie uh, was 150. So they've gone up from there, which is nice, because you don't see 
anything break like issue number 30 anymore forget like forget breaking 100 um but so th- what's going on with venom right now is he's having to hunt down stegron who you know it's it's the scientist who kind of like the lizard decided to tamper with his body and he became a dinosaur and he has the ability to mind speak with other dinosaurs mind speak mind speak he can control their thoughts and whatnot and kind of make them loyal to him then how is that speaking it's mind control eh. same thing Nuh-uh. they're di- they're dinosaurs they you know. <laughs> tiny brains tiny arms <laughs> and all the while uh at one point eddie brock was known as anti-venom Pretty much the Venom symbiote did not react well. His blood was a counter effect to the Venom symbiote. As well as when he was Toxin. uh, Hunting down Agent Thompson. Agent Thompson. uh, So Agent Venom. When he was Agent Venom. uh, He got injected with a bunch of uh, symbiote counteracting uh, serums. So it's affecting him and he can't keep... Like, it's making the Venom symbiote sick, and it's pretty much slowly killing Venom. Um, But they... So he's trying... So he now has to work together with this corporation to try and hunt down Stegron. He he ends up teaming up with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which was not his smartest plan. We'll just say that. Uh, And that's where that issue ended. Um, The next thing I read was Hal Jordan and Green Lantern Corps number 24. You know, picking up where the last one left off, you actually see the whole, like, this is when the Green Lantern killed the Yellow Lantern. It's going through all of that. Sora and Kyle end up getting into a huge fight that does not end well for Kyle Rayner. And then uh, John decides to come forth and be like, yeah, so Green Lantern killed the Yellow Lantern. Don't worry, he will be held to trial and everything. And that's just a huge, huge mistake. And the alliance between the Yellow and Green Lanterns is starting to shatter after so long trying to get everything to work together. Uh, It's just starting to fall apart. Next, uh, Dragon Age Knight Errant number three. I'm really liking, I'm really loving the art in this book. Uh, The writing is pretty good too. Just met two new characters. I don't know if they're the ones from Mage Killer or not. I've got to double check on that. But if you've played Dragon Age 2, you know who Sebastian is. He pops up in here. He and Varric have some uh, have some funny conversations together. But, yeah. Going through, it's pretty much uh, the main female elf whose name I cannot remember off the top of my head. <sighs> Miriam? Is it Miriam? I think it is. Yeah, See, I pay attention to when you ramble. Okay. But Miriam is going, has a couple of conversations, uh, and she's the one who has to break the prisoners out. So, I, again, I'm really enjoying that. If you're a big Dragon Age fan, I recommend it. If not, you could skip it, because I, some of the things I'm enjoying from it are the fact that I'm a big Dragon Age fan. Jen, anything else you've been reading? I had a crappy weekend at work. Overworked, pretty much. Then I remembered I have the app on my phone, and I caught up on some monstrous, and that was a very nice escape to this mythical, magical, demon world. And it was 
a nice break from work mm-hmm. and all this stupid. <laughs> it's and the other thing I binge read was Magdalena, which I was liking the team up. I was like, am liking what they are doing. the The funny thing is that it's sort of ended, possibly, maybe. It's it's a whole story. But this is one of the instances where it's like the, the, to be continued. Maybe, maybe? Uh, it's a question mark, and it's more it's more to do with the publishing people, yeah, than the writers and the team up. They probably have more up their sleeves that they could show us if they get the go ahead from Image, which I hope they do. Yeah, because it was. I, I haven't read the last two issues, but from what I was reading, like, I'm really enjoying it, so I gotta get caught up on that. But yeah, I hope they keep going with it, because the creative team working on it, solid. I like and, the writing, I like the art. And and from what I gathered, it's going in a slightly different direction than what the Magdalena has done in the past, where there was one bearer of the Spear of Destiny, mm-hmm. and now it's a more of a sisterhood okay. and they share the responsibilities. So that would be very interesting to see how that would work mm-hmm. and the problems that come up in group dynamics. Yeah. <laughs> how that gets resolved. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then I have two last things uh, that I read. Uh, first up is the Star Wars Darth Vader number three. Man, if you are a Star Wars fan and you like Darth Vader and you're not reading this, what is wrong with you? Uh, The art in this, again, like I've said, is just absolutely fantastic. We're finally, this is the first part in the story of, uh, or I should say, the first part in the last leg of the journey of Darth Vader going to get his red lightsaber. And he does not mess around. Like, the, the Jedi he's going to hunt shows himself to Vader and he's like, ah, so it's you. You're the dark presence I sensed. And he just immediately starts force choking him. Vader just starts force choking him. And, he just... and of course, like, he's this guy's a Jedi master. Although Which he took his... Which Anakin never got to. Right. Uh, yeah, he gets a Jedi knight. Knight, um, not master level, though. Right. Which, I mean, the only difference between knight and master is you just have to be chosen to have enough wisdom to be upgraded, or, you know, promoted to master. Which, I mean... I don't think he has that. (laughs) Yeah. But, so this Jedi was actually... He had taken the Barash, which is pretty much... He took a vow... A Jedi vow of... um, My goodness, what is the word? Solitary. uh, Solitary confinement, kind of. He put himself on this planet by himself. Isolation. There we go. He separated himself from the Jedi... council because he is he's a fighter he he enjoys battle it's not necessarily what the jedi order is all about but uh there's one little bit in here where i am sure this got under vader's skin regardless if this guy knew it or not but he makes uh so so he's making vader climb this trial this mountain trial and then uh there's like one little bit where he says i will await you at the summit beast on the highest ground which I'm sure got under Vader's skin because the last time he fought Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's like, no, Anakin, I have the high ground. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like there's just, it's just more Vader being 
awesome and using the force uh like he gets he try uh the other jedi tries to flood the valley he's in vader does like this moses parting of the waters thing with the force that was pretty cool looking then he gets attacked by some birds and he just starts crushing them with the force awful it looks awesome though but he like it's what just birdies? man the thing is like this issue left off on on a cliffhanger and where the first two issues were bi-weekly, it's now a monthly title. So starting with issue three, I have to wait till next month for issue four. And... Yay. I mean, that's good for my wallet, bad for my... I need to read this now! <laughs> and the thing is, like, we have a teaser uh, of, of the cover. And of course, like, we know... If you've read it, you know what happened during the issue. And it's just like, man... Like I said, if you're a fan of Star Wars and a fan of Vader and you're not reading the Darth Vader comic right now, shame. Shame on you. Just give it a try. Yeah. Come on. You know you want to. Mule, I'm talking to you specifically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next thing I, or the very last thing that I read was The Edge of Venom verse number two. Uh, this one was if Gwenpool got the Venom symbiote. And it's, you know, it's very much like Deadpool comics are, but it's real. it's clever humor because Gwen isn't crazy, crazy. She's just, I, I haven't read much of anything with Gwenpool, but my understanding is that she is a f- huge comic book nerd that somehow found her way into the comic book universe. So... Like, she's, she's working in a firm somewhere and, like, Matt Murdock comes in. Uh, and is the defending lawyer against the company that she's working for. And she's just like, she's doodling and having a giddy time and points out that Matt Murdock is dead, uh, Daredevil. And then she hands the file to her boss with that doodling in it. Mm-hmm. And so she's having a conversation with the Venom symbiote and it's like, oh, I just handed my boss a sheet of paper that says Matt Murdock is Daredevil on it. You did. Oh. So then she has to spend the rest of the time the rest of the issue trying to get it back and it's just you know the the art style fits the fact that it's just supposed to be a fun read and then of course she gets whisked away to you know where the other venom symbiotes are but we don't actually see who she ends up uh seeing when she gets there oh is that like because we read um, Edge of Venom verse number, number one, one for our review, mm-hmm. and it was Captain America who met X twenty three. Yeah. So this one, like she, it, well, you see a Daredevil, so she follows Daredevil, and then she disappears. So you can assume that this was the Daredevil with the Venom symbiote, but like this was another one. Like I'm gonna give it another shot, and then I'll probably end up putting it up. Now I'm curious to see what else is going to go on because next month is uh, Ghost Rider with the Venom symbiote, which is weird because Venom don't like fire. It doesn't. No, no, it does not. All right, but that is all that I read. You didn't have anything else that you read, right? No. All right, so we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to start in on our reviews for comics that came out this one for the past couple of weeks. So we'll be right back. Sit tight. Do you like books but find yourself not having the time to read as much as you'd like? Well, I've got a deal for you. If you go to mulehorngaming.com audible, you can get two free audiobooks on us with a free trial. 
and there are plenty of books to choose from. If you're a big Star Wars fan, then there are tons of books to check out, like Star Wars Catalyst, the prelude to Rogue One. Or if you're looking forward to the movie reboot of Stephen King's It coming later this year, and want to revisit the nightmare that is the rural town of Derry, Maine, they've got the whole 45 hours of unabridged audio for you to listen to. Or, if you're looking for something a little more lighthearted, might I recommend The Bro Code, read for you by Barney Stinson. Remember, that's mulehorngaming.com audible for your two free books trial offer. Now, back to the show. Okay, so we are back. Uh, so for our reviews, uh, starting up, We've got Superman number 26. This one is just a short one-off story between Clark and John. Uh, they're fighting some outer space baddies, and they're trying to work together, but they're, they're mojos off. Uh, namely because John doesn't want to make the same mistakes and have something, have something happen like what happened with uh, uh, Black, Black Adam. Black Adam. No. Nope. Manchester Black. There we go. Uh, the city. Yeah, with the city. And so he's... So Superman... So yeah, Clark is trying to get John to be like, okay, think straight. You know, this is how you should be doing it. This is how you should be doing it. Um, whereas John, of course, thinks he knows best. So well, he's a teenager. Yes. Um, Pre-teen, I don't know. That age where kids think they know everything. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's interesting because at the very the very first page, uh, you see flashback a flashback between Mister Kent and Clark when Clark was a kid, and they tried to uh, his dad tried to get him to, hey, you know, I need you to go and you know farm the wheat or till the wheat you know this way you can't use your powers though just so that that way he could try and understand like this is the struggle that he goes through and whatnot and so with all of this you know back and forth between john and clark clark thinks hey i'll do what pop did that seems like a great idea (laughs) so he makes him superman for the day um does not go well because throughout the entire thing, of course, he's like, well, I mean, you did you did save those people, but you could have done better if you did this because with the way you did it, this could have happened, yada, yada, yada. Um, same thing with the, the train track, or uh, the train, like he goes to stop a train, and then what he does is he ends up ruining the train tracks because he breaks the the wooden planks in between each of the rails. So that damages the train and can warp the rails. Collateral damage. Yep. So he wasn't thinking about that, which, like, eh, okay. But then it goes back to another flashback, and you see him going like, no one's going to notice if I use my powers, and he ends up ruining all the wheat. Well, just that That one one row. row. But still, like, that was... A lot of freaking wheat. Yeah. Um, So, like, as, as they're going through... They they finally find the big baddies, which are Dreadnought and oh what's his name Siphon. So they go to fight them, and he lets John do it because John's in charge, and John gets his butt kicked. So they finally decide to work it out and work together and fight them, you know, in a smart way. 
and it ends up working out for them. And then, of course, like, they have a sit-down chat and talk, and it's like, oh, yeah, like, my pa, you know, growing up, that's, you know, that's what he did. Um, so, like, this one, it was not the regular artist, which is the one thing that was kind of throwing me off throughout the whole issue. Um, but for me, like, my, my final thoughts on it, it's another great family moment focused on father and son. Uh, and this is the reason that I keep reading the Superman is these interactions between John and Clark. Cause I, I didn't have any of that takeaway. Superman still seemed like a bumbling fool. <laughs> I think he, he seemed like a dad who wasn't sure what to do with his first kid, which I know that when our oldest gets to be a teenager, I'm going to be like, what the, what am I going to do? What am I doing? Ah. So no, I, the, the parenting that makes sense, but he always seemed like a bumbling bumpkin to me in a way, but I think I've narrowed down. I've, I've pinpointed one of my big issues with Superman. Okay. And it's lack of communication. You, the reader, have access to his inner monologues and he's thinking of how things could have done differently plan like chess plan five moves out mm-hmm. but he doesn't express that in a way that makes sense to john prior to him being superman for the day and making the mistakes that he needs to make mm-hmm. to a degree well and that's what brought about the him trying what his dad tried with him when he was growing up it was like okay how i'm doing things now they aren't working maybe i should let john you know maybe i should do what pa did and with me and how he had me put in charge for the day i'll put john in charge for the day and see if we can work things out and in the end like it ended up working but it's because they decided they needed to communicate more But the the only way I could figure out that Superman was thinking ahead so far was because the writers were telling me so. Like I didn't have yeah. that natural feel from him. But he was a thinker. He's more of a hit harder type of character. Well, and that's... and yeah, I mean that's that's why I'm liking this one more than like action comics because action comics that's more of Superman just being Superman, which I'm not crazy about. This yeah. is ma- the super- main Superman comic is more on character development. Fam- you know, it's focused on his relations with his family. So that's why I'm enjoying it more. Your final thoughts? I I still don't like Superman, mm-hmm. and this didn't help me warm up to him any. And it was it was my first take with the Superman as dad kind of role. Mm-hmm. Which is still kind of hard for me to get my head around. Yeah. That's not the Superman. It's not that Superman? No. That's the Superman from so pre-New 52 universe. So, so many Supermans and so much head headache. Yeah. That's okay. Face palm. <laughs> Alright. Our next review issue is Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe Again. Uh, which already did that once. Yes. Um... And I I enjoyed I enjoyed the original Marvel kill uh, Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. Do you remember when that was? <sighs> that was years and years and years ago. Um, okay. So, 
it, you know, I was, so when I found out that they were doing it again, I was like, uh, why are they doing it again? Um, and like, it, it opens, it opens up with, we find Gambit pinned to a counter with his staff and his playing card shoved in his mouth. Hmm. And, and then it's like this huge fight scene with, I think they're the Uncanny Avengers. Yes, they're the Uncanny Avengers because they do make a comment about it. Lately, or later, where they're the Canny Avengers, as a joke, um, and they're fighting Modok, and like there's this there's this thing going on, where and the superheroes I, are getting killed. Yes, where the superheroes are getting killed, and no one's really sure what's going on or who's doing it. They do eventually figure it out, and of course, it's it's Deadpool, and I like what they did with this one. Because in the original one, like, something happened. He, like, got shot in the head or something. And only one of his personalities... Because that's one of uh, Deadpool's things, is he has multiple personalities in his head. That's why he's crazy. Or one of the reasons why he's crazy. <laughs> um, But in the original Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, something happened and only one of his personalities came forward. And that was the one that was telling him that he had to kill every, you know... All of the superheroes and supervillains. Um, This one, like, there's a saying that someone says, and then he blanks out, and then he, his perception of the world is differed, which I loved that they changed the art when he's seeing the world differently. They they changed the art, but more importantly, they changed the color palette. Yes. So it's a lot brighter, which tells you something. I don't think the second one was that bright. I could be well, wrong. I mean, it's brighter in comparison to how the rest of it's colored. Yeah. But in, in any case, like, it's it's interesting that, like, they change his perception and, like, he doesn't realize what he's doing. No. Which or, is really, really... Or does he? And and that's the, that's the thing. Like, you're going There's through... A... And he's, you know, and then he kills a bunch of the, the god characters by using Medusa's head. But he sees it as like, oh, it's a beach party with all the gods and goddesses. Oh, I'll go get the beach ball. Here it is. And then they all turn to stone. <laughs> because it's Medusa's head. Um, it's Medusa's head that's severed. Does it still work that way, though? I'm, I would I'm think talking so. about Greek mythology itself. Like, I, once yeah. you cut off her head, it doesn't work. Did you one? not see Clash of the Titans? I don't know and which one. The, the the original? He <laughs> he cut off Medusa's head and that's how he stopped the, the Kraken or the big monster. Then no, I didn't watch that movie. <laughs> but in any case, we do have a team searching to try and figure out who the killer is. We got Jessica Jones, Kate Bishop, Cable, Punisher, uh, Misty Knight, and Moon Knight. And so they're all working together to try and figure out who's killing the Marvel Universe. And they get to one of Deadpool's safe houses and they pick up a box. And underneath the box, in noodles, is written, help me. So, so there's a clue that he's his other consciousness senses something's not quite right. Yeah, like he senses something. So like he knows that it's there's something going on and he can't control it. Uh, and then we find out at the very end that, you know, there's a group of villains that, like, they're hire- they're pretty much inadvertently hiring 
Deadpool to kill superheroes. Yes. Uh, so you know that there's a conspiracy, which I think they could have played that longer. Yeah, but... Like, they got to the punchline really Usually quick. it's only four issues. Like, the last one was four issues. And all of the different parts after that, like Deadpool Killology and Deadpool Kills Deadpool, each one of those was four parts. So this is probably a mini story arc. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. Um, So my closing remarks on it is it's a surprising, interesting new twist from the original Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe writer. Uh, and the artistic team is very multi-talented to bring different uh, versions to Deadpool's perception. Uh, so, like, the first one, it's very cartoony, and then the second one, uh, second time we see the world through his perception, it's more of, like, it's done in that, like, classic art style. Uh, and it's got, like, the half tone in it and whatnot. More like a kid's cartoon. That's the first one. I'm trying to figure out what you were talking about then. When the, the beach party? Oh, yeah, that's the half tone. Yeah. And then the kid's cartoon was, like, the first one. Yeah. Yeah, but, I I mean, I liked that that they did it in the different ways. Um, yeah. I, I'm... I'm really liking how what they're doing with this it's i was worried that it was going to be a oh it's going to be the same story told only like a little bit differently or from like someone else's perspective but this is like a completely different way to tell the same kind of story which i was it's the same kind of story because i didn't i didn't read the first Mm -hmm. one but this one was you get to see deadpool as a puppet yeah. Which is probably really hard to do if he has that many multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, these are really, really bad people. Yeah. Really bad baddies. That's what I was going for. So, yeah. Like I said, really surprising. Also, the writer, uh, Cullen Bunn, he's the one who's doing uh, X-Men Blue. So I, so He's doing X-Men Gold, too. Cullen Bunn? Yes. What... And I think he wrote the other Deadpool ones, too. Yeah, he did. He's he's writing just X-Men Blue, though. He's not writing X-Men Gold. That's someone else. Then why did I look up X-Men Gold and the writer was Colin Bunn? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. Because now I'm confused. All right. Next up, we have The Clockwork Assassin, Lady Mechanica number one. Yay! Uh, so this one, we've got a steampunk London style London Victorian style uh, murder mystery going on Um, and then Lady Mechanica is already like she died once and has come back I don't she is the result of scientific experiments from the background story okay so her limbs are mechanical machine parts Mm mm-hmm that I did pick up on um but yeah so but no one really knows what happened, and she's like the last survivor of whatever happened. Happened, right. and she lost her memory, from what I could tell. Hmm. But this this character has been around for a little while, and this story is picking up some ways in. There's mm-hmm. a couple other story arcs out there already, but this is the newest one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so it's a murder mystery. Like who, uh, pretty much slowly one by one, 
this group of guys that were working on some project together. They've since split up. They've gone on to go do their own thing. Slowly, one by one, they're being picked off. And we don't know who's doing it. But it's done in a way that she could do. Right. So she's now become the prime suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta say, the art is amazing. It's gorgeous. It, it, it fits the setting really, really well. Um, and, like, my, my final thoughts on it are, like, it's got wonderful art. Like I said, it fits the setting perfectly. However, the writing didn't really grab me. And part of that could be that, like, the week before we read this, we read Clue, which is another murder mystery. And that's just way more of a fun read than Lady Mechanica, at least for me. See, so. I had fun with the writing, but then again, I'm a fan of Agatha Christie, like I said the last episode, and so whodunits are like my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> and older setting stories are way more fun than present or futuristic ones. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I would pick more of those stories over. yeah all right um yeah like i said i think what happened for me when i was reading it is like well i'm already reading clue this is another murder mystery like right the very next week so i think i just got over murder mysteried whodunit sort of thing but the 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 art in it they used a lot more black than I was expecting for a steampunk. Well, there steampunk was a lot is more brass brown. and brown. Yeah. And... Keep in mind they spent like a third of the book in a graveyard. This is true. And, and the it... entire book during the day of a funeral pretty much. Yeah. So, but the little panels had little gears. That was a really awesome touch. Mhm. Yep. Like I said, the the art was fantastic. The story just didn't grab me enough. Uh, Alright, so next on our list of reviews, we have Dark Days The Casting, which is actually the second one-shot prelude to a DC event called The Metal. Or actually, just Metal. Uh, I think it's... I don't even know if it's Dark Days The Metal. I think it's just Metal. Yeah, it's just Metal. Uh, which is apparently something, it's a, it's kind of a story going on with Batman at the center of it that Scott Schneider and Greg Capullo were working on while they were writing Batman for New 52. So so this was going on the back burner and now it's finally coming to publishing late? Yes. I, I read the, the thing in the back. Um, well, I didn't do that. <laughs> and But like I, I read uh, The Forge because... When we were looking for review issues, we saw this and went, oh, this one might be pretty good. Because DC and, does very few events, so they should get their fair share of attention. Yes. And also, I was like, oh, well, you know what's number one? Like, we can do the casting, and then, like, if the ca- And what I thought with the Forge and the casting is they weren't one-shots. Because usually, if it's a one-shot, it'll say one-shot on it, not number one. True. So I thought they were going to be, like, mini side stories around the events of metal um 
Turns out that's not the case. A customer that was there happened to uh, point us in the right direction. He's like, yeah, that's a one-shot prelude. That's part two. You're going to want to pick up The Forge. Uh, so I read The Forge, and that's and pretty much I just... I did not. Yeah. That's pretty much just building up the same information uh, that you could... If you read the casting, you pretty much know what happened. I, I have a fairly good idea of what's going on to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Well, what's... to figure out what's going on, because I'm still like, what's happening? <laughs> Um, but yeah. Well, there's this journal that they're reading from, and <laughs> that's that's Hawkman's. It's Hawkman's journal. Yes, I know. Okay. It took me a minute to figure it out because they were not good on their pronouns. It was eyes. Yeah. And then it said my wife, and I'm like, got it. It's Hawkman, <laughs> not Hawk Girl. Um, but yeah, so it's like Batman, like he knows something's coming, and there's there's three different parts to the story. In the forge and in the casting. One is following kind of Hawkman's journey as he's writing entries in his journal. To being like, hey, beware this. This is coming. Don't let it happen. Uh, which, of course... birds versus bats thing. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Um, the other part is Batman knows something is coming. So he's trying to get all the these items together and information that he can... Because to try he, and see. he remembered something, but he doesn't remember all of it. Yes, and that has to do with um, back in the New 52. Uh, oh, what was it? Uh, I don't remember what the story arc was called. But him and Joker got into a, got into a fight and it ended with both of them dying at the bottom of this cave. Well, it turned out there was a Lazarus pit in that cave, so they came back. And they were healed, and their minds were supposedly healed as well. Well... Supposedly. Yeah, when Bruce decided to return his memories to him as Batman, something triggered in him where he was seeing different universes of Batman just dying endlessly over and over and over again. And something is coming, and it gets triggered by Batman looking for the truth... And the Joker's there trying to stop it. He's like, don't you see? I'm trying to be the good guy for once. <laughs> I, I will say while we're on the subject of Joker, Greg Capullo? Yes. Yes. He makes a way scarier Joker than the one who in Rebirth 50, the Rebirth Batman. Okay. For the killing joke. Yes. It, it's, it's, wigs the hell out of me. Yeah. I mean, and this one, I mean, Greg Capullo wasn't working on this one. He wasn't? No, he isn't on this one. This one we have, uh, uh, right, I gotta look at it. It's, um, Jim Lee, Andy Kubert, and John Romita Jr. Well, they make one scary freaking Joker. Yeah, there's even one page in here where it goes from one artist to the other, and it completely throws me off because the Joker's haircut changes. See, look at his face on oh. this page, and then look at his face on the next page. Well, I just thought it got swept back. Nope. It's just a different artist. That's weird. Yeah. Because so, it, it, it flowed well enough that I didn't notice it as well, mm. as much. In, in the Forge, I didn't notice it as much. There were a couple of places, and then this one, again, like there were a couple of places where it goes from one to the other, and you can tell, and it's just, it throws me off. But, yeah. 
You said there were three parts. We got through two of them. Uh, and then the third is following um, Hal Jordan, so Green Lantern, and Duke, who's the newest Batman sidekick. He doesn't have a code name. No code names. No code name. He just wears yellow. Um, it's a silly bat color. You need to like blend into the shadows. It was Batman's idea. I don't know. He wanted a target? Yeah. So, and then like, eventually the the Batman and the Green Lantern Duke story, uh, they they end up meeting up and we see a glint, or he tries to see a glimpse into something and they're like, oh, Bruce, what'd you see? Nothing. It was just darkness. I couldn't see anything. And then we find out that like his vision was blocked and we get to see in the back, it looks like multiverses. And I see what looks like could be Cyborg as Batman, Wonder Woman as Batman, and The Flash as Batman. Just based off the random little logos that I saw. I could be wrong, hmm. but that's what I got from it. But, yeah. So, starting next month, we're not going to have The Forge, we're not going to have the casting. It's going to be metal, and it's just going to be Scott Schneider and Greg Capullo. And they were an amazing writer-artist team. So I will be reading those, <laughs> definitely. Um, my final thoughts on the casting. Uh, this one was more build-up for the upcoming metal event. Uh, writing just has me sucked in. Like, I want to know what's going on. But having the three artists uh, team with the prequel books to the metal, or to metal, it just, it really, it messed with me a couple of times. Because I was like, I see one, it drawn one way, and like the very next page is like, that is not the same person. I I didn't have that confusion, but you read much more comics than I do, so. Yeah. It's either that, or I was sucked into the story that my brain just sort of fuzzed those out, and it flowed mm-hmm. in my head. Alright, and our last issue that we did a review for was Saya, I think that's Saya, Saya Ohm's Lolo XOXO number one. Uh, more accurately, volume two, part one of six. Uh, and I gotta say, like, okay, so the setting for it is kind of like a post-apocalyptic wasteland-ish kind of setting. I know that the first thing that we see is a two-headed deer. But the overall feel felt more like a old time western kind yeah. of Yeah. Well like I guess that's kinda of what the feeling was supposed to be, is like it kinda of went back to it's like a steampunk wild west kind of feel. Yes. And Especially with is, the goggles that yes. they wear. I don't know what is it with you and goggles. It's like they have goggles, it must be steampunk. Not that it must be steampunk, <laughs> but this like it could be steampunk. It could be. Uh but yeah, this one Unlike uh, Lady Mechanica's uh, number one, way more brown and bronzies, bronzies, bronze colored tones in this issue. Well, they're also in a desert. Yeah. Versus Um, the middle of a city. (laughs) Yeah. And something I like to point out is that, like, when I say Sia Ohms, like, I'm assuming it's a she. Yeah. They are the writer and artist. And did I say Lolo? I meant Lola. Why do I keep saying Lolo? I don't know. I can't read, apparently. 
Oh, I know why. It's because on the front cover, her head covers the bottom of the A. So it just looks like it's a weird O. So, Lola XOXO. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, hmm. I, I, so the, so Sia Ohm is the writer and the artist. And the art is what drew me to it. This is why I picked it. Yes. And I have to say the art is amazing. It's like the, the artist extremely talented. Uh, she, uh, she's also a talented writer. Like I, I want to know more about the characters, but at the same time, like I feel like this is a continuation from volume one, not just like, Hey, this is a new story arc. This is a great hopping on point. It almost feels like it punishes me for not reading volume one. See, I had a different feeling. It was like there was just enough background information for me to pick up what they were talking about to then carry on. Yeah. I I don't know. I, there, there was a great little blurb on the front inside page before it starts where there's like that I read. That was, oh, see, that probably would have helped me. I did not read that. It was there. It was like a recap of what happened in volume one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I feel like for someone who, you know, it just wants to pick up something and read it while it looks amazing. Again, like I said, it punishes, I, I felt like it punished me for not reading volume one. Did you notice how in the, some of the panels, the art was less detailed, more rough sketch? Yes. And I, I felt that that added to it. And that was more on, like, if it was a zoomed out picture. Like, if you're right. looking at it, you're not going to be able to see every minute detail if you were, like, standing on the balcony looking out over the same scene that was drawn. So, like, having it not be as detailed and be more of a rough sketch, like, that added to it. Uh, and I enjoyed that. I loved that. Yeah. But she did a great job with the balancing of the detailed panels as well. So there mm-hmm. was a great... Balance oh yeah, for the whole story. I was curious about their near the end. She meets up with the first bad guy from Volume One. I don't remember his name now. Of course, you got the book over there. I, I and it sort of hints at the different levels of bad guys. I'm a bad guy, yes, but I'm not as bad as that one over there. Those are always my favorite bad guys. It's like, yeah, I'm kind of a douche, but I'm not that guy. <laughs> Which actually made me very curious. And they're arguing over a kid, of all things, in mm-hmm. this wasteland. Yeah. Like I said, like I, the writing was good. I wanted to read more, but not so much that I... Like, if you want to keep reading it, I might pick up the... I might read the next issue... Every now and then, when I get the chance, but I didn't. For me, I didn't feel like I had to because, again, like I said, it kind of like my final my final thoughts on it are the creator Sia Ohm, obviously super talented, um, you know, fantastic art, and the writing, while while interesting enough to get me to want to finish reading it, I felt like I was. Uh, 
I was being punished too much for, it was too much of a continuation from volume one. It wasn't like a, hey, this is a new story arc. This is a great hopping on point. And while it is, like, it feels like it drew a lot from, have it would draw a lot more from having read volume one. See, I almost feel tempted to pick up volume one and then probably wait for the trade and uh, for this complete story and read it that way because I like binge reading, like I said earlier. <laughs> like, I'll just buy volume one, then I'll wait yeah. for volume two. Thing is, it's it's Aspen Comics. I don't know how frequently Aspen does trades. Well, it said it was a volume. Yeah. I'm somehow I just automatically assumed that they put it together. <laughs> That's not how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> Alright. Uh but Alright. Uh well that then with volume that then one is now on my wish list. There you go. Uh okay, so with that then let's move on to Jen Needs a Hero, where her hero this week was the holder of the power cosmic, the Silver Surfer himself. Uh and to give you a bit of background on so to give you a bit of background, what I had her read is there is a French artist by the name of Mobius. Uh I guess he he was very, very sought after. I don't know a lot of his work because he only did one story arc for any US comic. And that was this particular story arc of the Silver Surfer. Written by Written by Stan Lee. My first Stan Lee authorship. No, not only your first Silver Surfer, but your first Stan Lee. Uh, but I'll let Jen take over because this is her segment. Yes. So this was actually written back in 1988. So it's just as bad as old as I am. <laughs> and I'm only now finding it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did a quick wiki search on his superpower. Which I think was the problem I was having before. It was like I had the briefest glimpse of the first two. Which I will go back and revisit Captain Marvel and Green Arrow. I will mm-hmm. do more justice to them now that we've got a better format. Yeah. But he has the power cosmic, which in other words, he can absorb and manipulate the underlying universe's energy. He has a surfboard that he flies on and therefore doesn't need air along with other things like sleep or food or yeah, as it's... long as he had, like, I guess his connection to the power cosmic has to do with his board, and if he's separated from his board, uh, he no longer has that power and whatnot. I, I don't know the all the ins and outs on Silver Surfer's power uh, whatnots. But he is best known to save Earth from intergalactic foes, whether we are aware of it or not. Right. Um... So, uh, you want to talk about the, the story and that you read? in this story, <clears throat> for me, he embodied power with grace versus the just hit harder kind of feel that we talked about earlier with Superman. With Superman, yeah. yeah. Um, he finds a cause that he believes in and fights for it regardless. Mm-hmm. Usually on the side of humans. But in my quick wiki search, I did a quick history. He 
was once uh, in league with the villain Galactus. He was the herald of Galactus. Yes, he yes. was. Uh, he was. I think he actually started off as a Fantastic Four villain because that's where Galactus, I think, first popped up. And what he was is he was an omen of bad things coming to your planet because him showing up meant that he was there to pretty much tenderize the planet because Galactus eats planets. So right. he so he, he was that planets. I don't know the ins and outs about how he ended up getting free of Galactus. Galactus? It's it's either he got free or he had an eventual change of heart, which from reading this story and having his inner monologue going on for a bit, that seems more likely to me. Mm-hmm. That he had a change of heart and is like, I need to not be a part of this destruction anymore. Because they, they do talk about the pact that they had mm-hmm. where Galactus wasn't going to destroy Earth by force yep. type of deal. But he convinces humans to do it themselves, which is not that kind surprising. Of pretty much, yeah. <laughs> pretty much... Galactus, like, his whole thing is, like, while he's going around munching on planets, he is always trying to find a way to get Earth and be able to eat, devour Earth. Uh, So he comes up with a loophole in their thing because, or in their bargain in the sense that, like, hey, you know, you can't come and you can't forcibly destroy the planet. So Um, in, in this one, he... Allows himself to be worshipped like a god. Yes. And the people fall for it. Mm-hmm. And so, and when Silver Surfer comes to try and, you know, fight Galactus and get him out of here, uh, he's like, no, 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 I'm not here to destroy the planet. I'm here just listening to the wishes of the people. Trying to free their inhibitions. Yeah. But In other words, I'm playing with their heads because I'm going to eat them. <laughs> and the silver surfer is like you don't beguile people yeah that's your not that's not your mo <laughs> in in the end silver surfer fighting galactus rallies humans to fight back mm-hmm. and break the mind spell in other words and galactus realizes oh i guess i can't do that anymore yeah and takes oh, off it oh shucks the doodles i guess i can't that, that part of the story felt rather anticlimactic for me yeah. just that one part but for the character which is what i'm focusing on mm-hmm. is a um when he saves the day they humans wanted to turn around and worship him and he's like uh, no, no, I don't need that. But they keep insisting. And it's like, well, fine. Then I want all of these random things that he doesn't need. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're like, he's just as bad as Galactus. He would rather be hated than worshipped. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's There's... part him, part story that they were telling with the religious undertones. My... Overtones? Kind of. Um... Uh, our our friend Greg, he, he is very, very much into Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer is one of his favorite Marvel characters. And my understanding from him is that Silver Surfer is a nomad because he kind of betrayed his people to become the Herald of Galactus. He's shunned from his own planet and his own kind. Uh, and actually, That's I th- why he favors Earth. Yeah. 
And like on Earth, like he doesn't belong there because of like the powers that he has and the fact that he's not human. So he's kind of a nomad, an eternal nomad. He has, he, you know, he doesn't belong anywhere, but he belongs everywhere kind of thing. That sounds like a crappy role. <laughs> yeah. But like, and he, he takes it because he's just like, he is the real guardian of like, he's not just the guardian of the galaxy. He's the guardian of the universe. <laughs> I mean, I I liked the story and the final thoughts on the Silver Surfer character is while intriguing, while intriguing, it doesn't have me itching for more. Of course, that might be how the story was written. It's like, it's a compact story. It was, it was a compact story. Mm -hmm. So it was a two and done. Yeah. One shot. And again, I'm, I'm coming back to the fact that for me, like, this was enough to be like, I'm kind of interested in the Silver Surfer. I want to know more about him. This two issues was not enough. It was a good hopping on point, but now I want to read more. You're more of the, like, okay, but... But this is not something I would want to go out and spend my money on for entertainment value. Which is funny because I know how much you love Doctor Who, and the as far as I'm aware, the most recent Silver Surfer run has a very Doctor Who feel to it. There's only one Doctor Who, <laughs> and he has a TARDIS and not a surfboard. <laughs> but he doesn't have the power cosmic. No, he has two beating hearts, and he can just flick a switch. <laughs> I don't know. Ugh. We'll, we'll eventually find one where you're like, yeah, I want to read more. I'm really interested in this character now. I is, don't know if it will ever happen. but Isn't that what the whole point of this segment is? Yeah. Oh, to man. find that elusive one. The thing the is, like, I, I, there, is one, yeah. <laughs> there is one. There is one. It's it's technically two story arcs, but it covers 11 issues that but it's like it's the beginning and then the end conclusion for the, the story alpha arc. and the omega yeah and it's thor and this is like the one character where even i'm like before i read i think it was thor end times was the one that got me going okay there's a lot more going on with thor than i originally thought i want to read more and then jason aaron started writing thor and jason aaron does a really good job with thor it's awesome the Not the God Butcher and God Bomb story arcs. So God Bomb is the first five of Thor God of Thunder, and then issue number six is it gives you Gore, the the God Butcher's background and why he hates gods. And then six through eleven is the God Bomb, which is the final leg of that story. And it's just Thor is a super badass at the end of that. It's awesome. <laughs> Which I have promised to read, and I will get to that. But first, we recently conducted a Twitter poll. Yes. So my next superhero, according to the votes of listeners and friends, is Spider-Gwen. She is next week. And you can start reading her, and because of the, the novel that I have, you're reading uh, her from the beginning. From the very beginning, so I get, like, ground level Yeah. Spider-Gwen. <laughs> Okay, 
Uh, so we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll be right back for more X-Men in our Codex segment. Stick around. If you're enjoying our show as well as the Mulehorn Gaming website and podcast and would like to help us out, look no further than the Mulehorn Gaming Patreon. You can find all the info about the different reward tiers on the Patreon page at patreon.com slash mulehorngaming. Most tiers include an avatar or banner you can use to show off your mule pack pride on your social media platform of choice, and you can even get the chance to hop in for some pre-podcast shenanigans and talk with some of the MHG crew each week. Think about becoming a mule pack patron and check out patreon.com slash mulehorngaming for a mule bagging good time. And remember, when in doubt, blow it up! Welcome, Professor. To me, my X-Men. Okay, we are back. And because we took the couple of weeks off, we do have two issues. We're going to do uh, get you caught up with X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue. But now that we are actually caught up on both of those series, it's only one issue each rather than six. <laughs> uh, so X-Men Gold number seven. This is a Secret Empire tie-in, which... You know how I feel about event tie-ins, because I kind of said it where, like, uh, it can be done well, and then there are times where it's not done well. This one, X-Men Gold, was actually a perfect way to do it. It's still its own story, because the we started out with it's a new story arc, um, and we have a a hitman who has a, who's very prejudiced against mutants. Mm-hmm. Um kills them without mercy uh and, and and some of these are at the school so these are kids essentially yes that are just slightly different okay some are very different there's the one with lots of eyes yeah and i was like he definitely stands out but he's still a teen he's young yeah, he's still a teenager um like, what has he done to harm the world mm-hmm. nothing he's yeah. just different and we get kind of a glimpse of what's going on. I think it was in... Yeah, it's at the beginning of this issue. We actually see the guy who is the hitman. We see kind of his problem with mutants. And like I said, the it. so what's going on in the Secret Empire right now is a section of New York has been sealed off in what's called the Dark Zone. And that's where all of like the mystical... Uh, superheroes of Earth are sealed. Uh, like X-Men? Or I'm not reading it, so you have to tell It's me. pretty much like Doctor Strange, uh, I think Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Daredevil. There's a couple other magical... I think magic is in there, uh, and she is a mutant. Uh, she's actually Colossus' sister. Yep. So they're all in there, and that was pretty much Steve Rogers' plan to seal away all the magic users to get them out of the picture. So it just so happens that Central Park is in that bubble. And so they're stuck in this dark zone that they can't get out of. And uh, you can't teleport out of there either. So Nightcrawler can't get out by teleportation. So they're stuck in this dark zone with this mutant assassin. That's... Um, okay. And, like, that that's the... That I, is I the, think the storyline lost me. Because suddenly... It, it's a new one. The mm-hmm. other ones are fairly straightforward. This one, there's a lot more background stuff going on that I, not reading The Secret Empire. And and that's what this one does well. Like, they have the quick conversation with Doctor Strange, 
uh, where he's kind of explaining like, oh, yeah, there's a dark zone. We can't teleport out. Uh, we're trying to break the seal. Yep. It doesn't affect the the X-Men story that's going on other than the fact that like, hey, there's demons running around. Keep an eye out for those. And you're stuck. And you're stuck. But it's not focusing on that, which is what's which is what's good. Although, because of all the demons running around, poor Kurt, he uh, he's having some problems. He's being attacked by a mob <laughs> at one point too. But like that's it, it's it's nice that like they're doing something and they are having to tie it into Secret Empire, which I'm like they don't really need to do that. But they're doing it in a way that's like. Yeah, okay, we're in Central Park. We can't leave, so this story has to take place within this confined bubble. But it works for what's going on because this assassin is attacking the school. Right. And, you know, it ends on a cliffhanger. Oh, God. Cliffhangers, man. They're <laughs> not my not my favorite thing. Um, but yeah, like I think what they're doing with the event, that's really tasteful. It's fine. Uh, X-Men Gold, still awesome. Yes. Um, Next one, and this is a perfect example of what not to do during an event, X-Men Blue. I I don't know what made them do this, but they went from the last issue and issue number six, they went and they were, Jean Grey, they met up with all those, uh, like the, the mutant ninjas or ninja mutants. Ninja mutants. And Jean was like, hey, we'll teach you how to be a super team and you teach us how to be ninjas. Suddenly they're trying to free mutants from this prison that is Hydra it? is sticking them in. Which is in California, which They Hydra were in Mandrapore. Yeah, but it, I, I think I liked this one done better in... It just made more sense. I was like, yes, there was a hint of a possible story with the ninjas. Mm-hmm. But it was like, they had a night out on the town. They met some people. They made friends in a rough way. I don't know. But it... This one felt now, like they just jumped from doing something completely different to, okay, now we're going to do this and focus on this. I don't know. It was... Uh, it's one of the things that bugs me when events happen. Is that the you know one of your books will be in the middle of the story arc, and then suddenly, bam! Now we're on the event stuff. I will say I do like Jimmy's new costume. Um, it's a throwback to the original Wolverine costume, the brown and yellow. Oh yes. Well, he didn't have one the last time. Well, no, he didn't have one. But either way, but yeah, it's uh... there. Of course all captured and brought forth. Something's going on with Havoc. He's got like a Phantom of the Opera thing going on. He's got that weird half mask. And Havoc seems to have lost his mind. Did he ever have it? With I mean, he's like Scott Havoc? Summers' older brother, so... Oh no, younger brother. He is Scott Summers' younger brother, but it's really weird. Just like, I don't know, do I call you my younger brother or my older brother? Because you're from the past. <laughs> <laughs> Psycho. I don't know. It seems more like Captain America mask than Phantom of the Opera. Meh. I don't know. Like I said, I'm. I can't wait for Secret Empire to be over and stop messing with some of my books. Like I said, <laughs> what Gold did was fine. They're like, okay, this is what's going on in the world. We're still doing our own thing. 
we'll just add in this element to be like, okay, we're technically part of the event, I guess. Whereas Blue went, okay, we're in the event. We're doing stuff that had nothing to do with what we were doing before. <laughs> <sighs> but the... Yeah, they jump from Mandapore to California, which has mm-hmm. become a mutant state. Yes, that yeah. Steve Rogers let them have. Um, yeah, and then it's really weird because at one point, hey. present day Scott Summers and Emma Frost had a thing going, and they were lovers, and now Emma Frost is trying to Re- woo young Scott, and it's weird. It's weird, like because he's not eighteen. That that's one of the problems, isn't the other slash bigger problem was that he was a douchebag. He just dumped her like a sack of potatoes just because Jean Grey came back. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, Jean! I'm like, you. Why? Why would you go back for that? Yes, he's younger. You could probably manipulate him a bit more, but he's still at heart likely to turn out to be a douchebag why would you ask for that heartache i don't know all i know is it's creepy that she's trying to like quote unquote sexually assault a teenager with his mind with her mind because that's what she does emma frost she's a telepath it's uh yeah man x-men what the hell I mean, they frick with the timeline so many times. I'm not surprised. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm like, you had your heart broken by this dirtbag. Why? There was one point the Phoenix Force got split into five parts. Scott, Emma, Magic, Colossus, and Namor had the five parts. Eventually, as more and more of them were defeated... The Phoenix Force started to collate in just the remaining people and eventually came down to just Scott and Emma. And Emma knocked her unconscious, almost killed her to get her Phoenix Force. And he became the Dark Phoenix Cyclops because he wanted the power. He wanted Gene. Present day Scott Summers is a prick. (laughs) I'm kind of glad he's no longer around. He died. I don't know how. I don't care. I hope he stays that way. We've got young Scott. It's the same thing with, like, present-day Jean. I don't want present-day Jean to come back. Keep past Jean in present-day. She's awesome. Well, she's learning from her mistakes, so maybe Scott will do, which is the whole goal that Beast I wanted. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, because what was supposed to happen was present-day Scott was supposed to be like, man, that's what I used to be like. Idealistic. I was slightly less of a prick. <laughs> Okay, in any case, let's move on to our mutant identification segment, because we got two mutants for you this week. Mutant identified. Okay, so our first mutant, uh, we're going to go from X-Men Gold. We're going to go with Kurt Wagner, a.k.a. Nightcrawler. So He is as... our first international mutant. Yes, our first international mutant, because we did Jean Grey and Kitty Pryde. Uh, so, again... All of our information is coming from a wiki, so unfortunately, they're not always 100% accurate, although I do like that the name's known by. So, well, we'll go with Kurt. So, Kurt Wagner from Bavaria, Germany. Uh, names he's known by, of course, is Nightcrawler is his mutant name. Everybody knows him as Nightcrawler. Uh, maybe not so much Kurt. 
and then there's Gainsborough, which I believe is probably had something to do with his circus name. Maybe I'm, I'm again, not... he's from Germany, so that makes sense. Uh, and then Fuzzy my favorite elf. nickname of his, yeah, like Jen just said, Fuzzy Elf. Um, I love that that was one of the names that he's known by on this wiki page. That was it. Actually, Nightcrawler wasn't even on the wiki page. I wrote. What? I wrote that in. Ugh. <laughs> on our notes, <laughs> not the wiki page. <laughs> That's unacceptable. Okay. Uh, so as for powers, he has uh, teleportation via another dimension. And with training, has learned to carry others with him. This is limited to places he uh, hasn't been or seen. Or seen to limit injury. He can also cling to solid surfaces, and by bending the light, Nightcrawler is invisible in shadows. He is also an acrobat, which has to do with some of his background. Um, I believe where he teleports through is Limbo. I could be wrong. They just said another dimension. Yeah, I, I'm trying to elaborate on that. I, I I remember in was it the X-Men Evolution cartoon like they slowed down his teleportation so that he could actually see where he was going and I think it was Limbo or Purgatory or something like that which I mean Limbo and Purgatory are the same place yes they are uh, so his first appearance was in Giant Size X-Men number 1 1975 this is when the main X-Men comic instead of being called Uncanny X-Men was actually called X-Men uh, so they did a giant size number one in 1975. And this is when Cyclops and the original team went to this island to investigate something. Uh, I think it was Krakoa. Uh, was the, was a mutant island, pretty much. Uh, and the other X-Men were trapped on the island. Cyclops made it back, but couldn't remember what happened. So Xavier threw together a new team, and that was uh, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Colossus... Uh, Sunfire and Tomahawk, I think. I don't remember the last guy's name. Of course, he died, and an uh, interesting story. We'll get into that when we cover Wolverine, because it has to do with him. Uh, he didn't stay dead. That's the interesting story. <laughs> no. Theorizing here. Just theorizing. <laughs> All right, so Kurt is the son of a mutant villain, Mystique, and I'm trying to remember his name. I think it's Azazel? Yes. Uh, I didn't write down the father's name. I didn't think it mattered. Mystique and Azazel. Azazel is pretty much the red version of Nightcrawler, except he's a douchebag. He is responsible for the teleporting. Yes. Uh, Mystique gave him his blue skin. That's pretty much what what Nightcrawler got from her. So he can camouflage himself in human form, sort of. Is it through a device? That's through a device. Not through her Not powers. Not through her powers, no. Of shape-shifting. He, he only got Azazel's power. Got it. And her blue skin. Uh, but yes, again, son of mutant villains, Mystique and Azazel, although he was abandoned, uh, and he was raised in a circus where his blue appearance was considered an act. Uh, and this is also where he learned to be very acrobatic with his circus acts. Uh, Xavier recruited him to the X-Men in the nick of time when the villagers of his town had mistakenly accused him for a string of murders that were going around. I don't remember. It was his friend Stefan who snapped and was killing people. And then he 
tried to stop him and ended up killing him by accident. Okay. So, next little tidbit of info. Uh, Nightcrawler eventually trained as a Catholic priest, though he was not fully ordained. And I think that had to do with the fact that he was a mutant. I think it had more to do with a subplot that the it was part of the Church of Humanity. They wanted to put him as Pope and then declare him as Satan and turn the world against each other. I don't know. It was some kind of evil plot more so than him yeah. being a mutant. In any case, he, he was supposed to be the fall guy. <laughs> yes. Uh, in any case, he is very, very religious, takes his uh, religion very seriously uh, as well as like the the fate of his eternal soul. Um, <clears throat> and apparently he also has a tendency to end up in occult situations, which also makes sense. Um, this was before and more so after the whole Church of Humanity story yeah. arc. Um, and he did at some point die, and that was that was a devastating event for the X-Men. Because much like kitty pride he's like one of the the glue members that like keep everybody together and, and he's beloved by fans yes he he is a fan favorite uh he's one of my favorite x-men me too um and back in 2013 uh there was an amazing x-men run and pretty much what it was is it was azazel was trying to get back to earth or come back to life with like the armies of hell at his back. And he was trying to conquer heaven and hell at the same time. Um, that is one ambitious bad guy. Yes. Uh, so Nightcrawler went and he made a deal with the, with these creatures that are like little mini, I think they call them bamps because they're little mini versions of him. Um, or they look like little mini versions of him and all they say are bamf bamf. And then they teleport. Uh, that's why they're called Bamfs. Is it like I am Groot, and that's all he says? And <laughs> yeah, well, and there's there's like dozens of them, and they're just called Blue Bamfs because Azazel has some, and they're Red Bamfs. Oh. Um, but they have something. They it, they're some kind of lesser demon, but he made a deal with them. So when if he dies again, his soul will will be forever damned. He will not go back to heaven. So he gave that up to save Earth. Which is like one major sacrifice for him mm -hmm. with his faith. Yes. Uh, I will say there was one full page panel in there that um, I do not remember the artist's name, but it's one of my, it was, I, I almost cried when I saw it. Wolverine, when, the, when they all go and kind of go through a portal into the afterlife, they all get split up and Wolverine ends up in this frozen waste. And Nightcrawler is the one that gets everybody back together. When he finds Wolverine, Wolverine realizes that it's him, and they just have this bro hug. <laughs> he just says, Kurt? And then the next panel is just Wolverine hugging Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler Ooh. hugging him back. Wolverine doesn't hug anybody. Exactly. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god! Uh, but yeah, it was... Uh, it was so good. So good. Um... But yeah, and then currently in gold, uh, there appears to be a budding romance with Rachel Gray, uh, which is new and 
or it's new lore in the making. So we're going to see where that goes. And that just popped up. Like it's in issue number six. Like it kind of showed like he was being very, very protective of Rachel when she was unconscious. And now it's kind of building into more in issue number seven. Yes. So. I mean, the, the wiki pages that we're using only go so far back and then. So far forward. So far forward, that yeah, it's better because this goes all the way back. But then at a certain point, you're like, okay, but now what's current, and I can't find it. Mm-hmm. All right. So for our second mutant, and this one's going to be for Blue Team, we got Robert Bobby Lewis Drake from New York's uh, New York, USA. Uh, better known, well, maybe not better known as Mister Freeze, and that's F R I E S E. I don't know when he ever called himself that. Uh, Drake Roberts, Rampage, that's another one I don't recognize. Uh, And this is the one he's better known as, Iceman. Well, when I was reading through the wiki, they they said he fought against somebody called the Rampage. So maybe he wasn't the Rampage, but it was in the little box. Okay. I, and then he fought somebody. I don't named remember Rampage. the deal with Rampage. Like it sounds really familiar, and I feel like I should know it, but I I don't remember exactly. It was I think it was during the '90s because I think the image I have of Rampage is like a super roided out Magneto, <laughs> but I don't remember. Uh, okay, so his powers: the manipulation of ice uh, by lowering his body temp. Uh, and withstanding sub-zero temperatures. He can freeze the moisture around him into simple objects, most notably slides for fighting. Uh, His body can switch between human form and solid ice, and lesser known is if he merges with flowing water or a on a molecular level, he transports himself quickly and great distances. Also, he is currently working on being able to control... Uh, ice clones of himself. That is a new power that he's working on. Uh, and that was in, that's more present day Bobby, more than uh, past Bobby brought to the present. Um, so his older self. His older self, yes. Okay. His older self, um, during the Battle of the Atom, one of the X-Men that came back to the past or present day, I should say, uh, was him from the future. So there were three generations of Icemen in one area at one point, and he had the ability to, like, create ice golems and whatnot. And um, there was one point where one of his, like, abominable snowmen got a mind of its own and wandered off. And when... (laughs) Uh, But he ends up being, like, this sagely old man, and she's like, Really? That's what I look like when I get older? It's like, what can I say? At least the beard looks nice, right? It's like, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But present day uh, Iceman, so the older Iceman, uh, when they, he started making ice clones of himself that didn't do anything. But if he concentrates, he can actually control them and have them fight for him. But it takes a lot of concentration and a lot of energy to be able to do it. So it gets tired really fast. So it's something he's working on. As far as uh, Bobby or Iceman on X-Men Blue, he is not at that level yet. Not even close. Uh, His first appearance, uh, because as we've said with the other X-Men Blue members, these are all 
the original X-Men. So his first appearance was Uncanny X-Men number one, 1963, alongside Cyclops, uh, Marvel Girl, Beast, and Angel. Yes. Uh, so some tidbit info. Uh, Bobby's powers developed in his early teen years, and when discovered by the town, they turned against him, kind of like a weird lynch mob sort of thing. Which was, it was the 60s. and, it, and... Yeah. Anything different, they were like, no. <laughs> uh, with the help of Cyclops and Professor X, he escaped and joined Xavier's school. Uh, he is the jokester of the group and has, on numerous occasions, underestimated his own potential. Uh, one important occasion was when his body was hijacked by Emma Frost, a telepath. Uh, she unlocked his full potential and even aided him after Xavier removed her from Iceman's body. This included uh, showing him that a lack of powers for a time was due to a mental block. So he pretty much, he didn't have his mutant powers, thought he lost them, but it was just because he had this subconscious mental block going where he couldn't use his powers. Yes, but from what I was reading, time and time again, he thought that this was the level that he was at and never thought to push himself further, Mm -hmm. which is why it's interesting to hear that the present-day Bobby is trying to make golems, snow golems. Yeah. And work towards another level of mm-hmm. what could be. Yeah. Well, part of that is him being true to himself. Uh, it was re- within the past few years, it was recently uh, written in that he was actually, or that he is actually homosexual. And that came up when past Bobby was talking to him older to him, to his older self and being like, Hey, does it get any easier? It's like, what? Being gay, being attracted to men. And he's like, no, actually, this is the first time I've ever said it out loud to anyone. And it's to myself, technically. <laughs> well, you have to say it to yourself first before you can say it to other people. Yeah, well, I mean, like, the first person that he says not in his own mind oh. to himself is to himself. <laughs> Which is weird. Um, but yes, so like he's finally starting to come out with that and like not letting that bother him anymore, uh, for however, whatever reason it was bothering him. Um, so he's being more true to himself. So he's kind of seeing, he's not holding himself back and therefore, therefore growing as a person and as a mutant and an X-Men. Yes. And we know that Bobby past Bobby has a relationship with someone we just don't know who yeah there is a brief snippet of a phone call conversation and Angel overhears part of that but we're like hmm mm-hmm. and he was like okay back away yeah alright uh, but that is going to do it for our codex segment and our mutant identification uh, so we're going to start wrapping things up Jen where can people find you on the internet only on twitter at scrap threads and me as always you can find everywhere as scrap gear uh hopefully i will be able to start streaming soon on mixer uh under the same name uh or through the muhorn gaming uh mixer account uh but be sure to uh hit us up on twitter if you have any questions for us feel free to ask them you can either 
uh, hit me or Jen up on Twitter at Scrapgear Scrap Threads, or you can email us uh, at um, halftonehero at gmail.com. And I have to double check that. I think it's actually halftone.hero. Or no, it's the halftonehero at gmail.com. I should have written that down. You should have. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you can email us there. Be sure, if you like what we're doing, uh, be sure to check out the Mulehorn Gaming website at mulehorngaming.com. Join the Discord, or uh, as was stated earlier in the show, you know, check out the Patreon. It's worth it. Dirty Bombs has really been working on some of those avatars. Some of them look, and they look awesome. Uh, so definitely go check that out. Think about becoming a patron. Uh, but that is going to do it for episode four. Until next time, Excelsior! <laughs>